0: Hello, hello. Fall is officially here. I think I said that like three weeks ago, and then it went away, and then it came back for real. Um, It's nice to actually feel it. I feel like our house has been decorated for fall for a little bit now. My wife loves fall, so like I think the first official day we put up all the stuff, but now it actually feels like it. Um, But with that, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. My voice is a little bit froggy. And I'm going to try not to cough into the mic tonight and blow all your eardrums out. So, um, yeah, bear with me. Um, but it is good to be with you guys. Uh, this, this semester, again, we've been going through the book of Mark. And uh, we've talked about how Mark is telling a grand story. Uh, the story is... Hello. Okay, there we go. Sorry. This story is one of good news. Uh, that God is coming into this dark and broken world to redeem, to rescue, to renew... And he's doing that through King Jesus. And in the beginning of the book of Mark, we saw that Mark says two things about Jesus. That one, he's the anointed king of God, who's going to bring God's reign to the earth and bring that renewal, bring that rescue and redemption. But Mark also said that Jesus is the son of God. And so whenever we started the series, we talked about how that means that he's more than a mere man. Uh, There is a sense in which he is God in flesh, as well as fully human. And so all these different stories that we've been seeing in the book of Mark so far have been really developing the identity of Jesus. Mark has been asking over and over, who is Jesus? Well, let me show you. And he's showing us stories, telling us stories that reveal his identity. And so we've seen over and over, Jesus is the anointed king, the good one who has full authority, um, and he's shown that he has a good and kind and compassionate character even as king. And then we've also gotten glimpses of Jesus as the Son of God, the one who's more than a mere man, and so he speaks of himself in ways that only God has spoken of. He does things that only God can do, like forgive sins, like command the wind and the waves. Jesus is the anointed king, the Son of God made flesh. In this section of Mark, he's going to continue to hammer home those same points, continuing to reveal the identity of Jesus. And one of the things that that I want us to remember as we continue to have these repeated points is that even though Jesus fills this exalted role, he's God's king, he's the divine son of God made flesh, even though he fills that exalted role and we should be in awe of him and have our focus on him, we should not lose sight of the role that we have, right? Like our focus is to be on Jesus who is the king, who is God's son made flesh. Our focus is to be on him, our awe is to be of him, in awe of, of him, but we're not to lose sight of our role. I think it's easy whenever we continue to focus on Jesus as the exalted one to kind of lose sight of what we're to be about and who we are in the here and now. It's easy to think that Jesus has done awesome things in the past and he's gonna come again in the future to do some awesome things, uh, but kind of right now, I'm just reading my Bible, praying, going to church, and just passing the time, waiting for that day. Jesus doesn't call out his followers to be just passive observers. Even though he has an exalted role, he involves his followers in what he's doing. There's a time that I think back to in high school when I was trying to learn electric guitar and I'm still not good at all. Um, Things haven't changed much. But I was kind of on the cusp of it and I liked, uh, I liked a lot of bands like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, you know, good classic rock stuff that all focused on guitar. So I wanted to learn it, and I had a friend who was really, really good. And so pretty much every weekend we would say, hey, let's hang out together and play together, and you'll continue to grow and learn. And so I said, yeah, that sounds awesome. And we would sit down, and that would happen for about the first five minutes. We'd sit down and start picking together. He'd kind of teach me a little bit. But by 20 minutes in, I was like Done. You know, I was like looking at him, I was like, you are so stinking good. There's not even a reason for me to play right now, I just make this sound like crap. Um, and so I would sit there and I would be overwhelmed by how good he was, and then I would just kind of sit, take a step back and become just an observer in the moment. And I think that's a lot of what we do as we focus on Jesus in his mighty role. Yes, we should trust in him, yes, we should depend on him, but we ought not lose focus on what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be. And so tonight in this passage, we're gonna again see that Jesus is the anointed king. God, God's son made flesh. But then we're gonna loop back around and say, okay, so with that in mind, what then does he do with his disciples? What role does he give them to play? Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Mark chapter six. We're gonna pick it up in verse 30. We're gonna see that one, Jesus' identity as the anointed king, the God of the Old Testament made flesh, but we're also gonna see that Jesus calls his disciples into the work that he does. There's gonna be three stories that are pretty brief. We're gonna run through this first one. In this first one, we're gonna see that as the good shepherd who cares for the people of Israel, Jesus Jesus is both the king and God of Israel. So as the good shepherd who cares for the people of Israel, Jesus is both the king and the God of Israel. Look at verse 30 with me. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. They just got done teaching, preaching, casting out demons, healing, and they came back. They reported to him. And Jesus said to them, Come away come away by yourselves to a desolate place, the wilderness place, and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place in the wilderness by themselves, Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. He was moved in the depths of his guts with care for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a wilderness place, and the hour is late. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to to them to eat? Two-thirds a year's wage just for not enough bread to feed these people? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And t- taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and set a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So here we have the story of the feeding of 5,000 men. Jesus, trying to escape the crowds on one side of the lake, goes to the other side, and again, there's like a huge crowd. So there's just like no escaping it. And as soon as he sees all these people, he's moved down in the core of who he is with care for them. And the text says why. Back in 34, he says, They were like sheep without a shepherd. Shepherd imagery in the Bible talks about leadership. Um, often Israel's leaders are referred to as shepherds. Uh, the people are the flock of sheep. And shepherds are supposed to be with the sheep to care for them, to provide for them, to lead them and to guide them. Make sure that they have protection and all that they need. This is what a good godly leader is to do, is to fill the role of a shepherd for a flock of sheep. And often this imagery is often used of God himself as he cares for his people Israel. When, these, when their human leaders fail, when they abuse them, whenever they use them, whenever they don't provide, whenever they don't lead well, he punishes them. And he says, I will be your shepherd. I will guide you. I will care for you. I will protect and provide. So this shepherd imagery is used of leadership, both of human leaders and of God's leaders over Israel. There are specific texts where God says, your human leaders have failed you. They've been wicked. They've abused you. But I'm going to send a coming king one day, and he will be a true shepherd to you. He will lead you. He will guide you, protect, and provide for you. He's going to be one descended from the line of David. He's going to be a good king, and he's going to fill that role of a shepherd for you. And so here we see Jesus as the good shepherd. He sees a shepherdless flock. And what does he do? He instructs the people. He teaches them God's will about who God is, what he's like, what he's doing, what he's got planned for them, how to follow him. He instructs them as a good shepherd would. And then he meets their needs physically. He feeds them. He cares for them both spiritually and physically as the good shepherd. Jesus is God's anointed king. He's the shepherd who was promised long, long ago and who has finally come to care for the flock of God. But then even beyond that, Jesus is stepping into a role that God has said, I'm going to play for you. As God said, I will be a shepherd to you. I will protect, provide, care for you, and lead you. Jesus is stepping into that role. And as the good shepherd He's showing that he is more than a mere man. This is only confirmed by the nature of the miracle that he he works, right? You see, he works a miracle that's focused on bread. In the ancient world, bread is life. How many of you guys have heard of or seen that documentary, Cooked, on Netflix? One. Okay, five. Um, Yeah, documentaries might not sound like the most interesting thing. I would encourage you to go watch it at least one episode of it. <clears throat> the, the show goes through four different elements. I think it's like earth, air, fire, water, right? Um, the air one is really interesting. <clears throat> and the reason that it's so interesting is he gets into bread in the ancient world. Bread was not what we have today. Uh, your wonder bread or even your wheat bread in the aisles is far different than what ancient people used to eat as bread. Um, bread used to be made by a process of fermentation it was all sourdoughs, and what happens there is vitamins and nutrients get really broken down, and it's like a, it's a full meal to eat bread. That's how life is sustained. And so whenever Jesus feeds them an abundance from bread, it's not like passing out a bunch of wonder bread. Like, hey, this will hold you over for five minutes, and then you're going to be hungry. <laughs> Jesus, all right, yeah. Uh, it's actually a full-on meal. The ancients viewed bread as life itself. This scene here is a direct echo from the Old Testament. Here we have the scattered, needy people of Israel in the wilderness, and they're provided with bread. If you know the story of the Exodus, God calls his people Israel out of Egypt. He saves them and redeems them. He leads them into the wilderness, and then they cry out because they don't have anything to eat. And he says, I will provide for you. And so he rains down this stuff called manna from heaven, which is bread, and he feeds them in the wilderness place. Here again, we have the exact same thing going on. You have the people of Israel who are needy. They're in the wilderness place. And then by a miracle, bread is provided for them. Life is provided for them. So Jesus is shown to be the Son of God made flesh being a good shepherd, but he's also shown that by the nature of the miracle that he works. I want you to get this. It's not just the miraculous power of Jesus that shows that he's God. Just the mere fact that he does miracles doesn't mean that he's God. It's the kind of miracles that he does that shows that he's God. Over and over and over, he's doing things that just echo what God had done in the past. And he's doing them in the present day amongst his people. As God cared for his people in the, Israel, in the wilderness before, provided bread and life. So Jesus is doing that now. And as we move on to the next story, <clears throat> we're going to see that Jesus' divine identity is just all the more affirmed. As Jesus walks on the waters and as his presence bring, he, brings healing, we see that Jesus is God in the flesh. So go ahead and pick it up in verse 40, 45 with me in just a second. One second. Oh, sorry. Okay. 45. Immediately, he made his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. He wants to give them a break. He's been trying to do that over and over and over, and he has been able to. So he says, go on, I'll dismiss the crowds. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he came to them, walking upon the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking upon the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. They were confused out of their minds, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran again about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds and wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So many of you have probably heard the story of Jesus walking on the waters. Um, Again, yes, he has miraculous power. But it's not just his mere miraculous power that shows that he's God. It's the way that he's using his miraculous power that echoes what God has done in the past, what is said of God in the Old Testament. And so in the Old Testament, God is repeatedly said to walk upon the waves. So let me just read you a few texts. Job 9.8 says, God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. That's pretty sweet. It says in Psalms, of God your way was through the sea your path through the great waters speaking of God delivering his people through the Red Sea in the Exodus and then Isaiah referring to the same thing says God makes a way in the sea a path in the mighty waters God is the one who not only has power over the seas and can set a boundary for them and rebuke them and make them be still but he can walk upon them as the scripture says and so when Jesus walks across the lake He's walking on top of it. He's showing who he is. And this fits so well with the miracle of the bread. As God in in the Exodus made a way through the seas and then rained down bread from heaven for his people, Jesus is doing both of these things back to back in this story right here. It should be obvious to the disciples. And yet still they miss it. One of the funny things, um, this is just a completely random side note. Uh, A lot of people read this text and they try to come up with ways that Jesus could have like walked in the water. Like there's like a sandbar, you know, and he's like, hey. (laughs) Um, That totally misses the heart of what's going on here. This is God in flesh doing the same things that the Old Testament said that he did. Uh, This is not something that we would rationally understand of a normal human. This is the divine Son of God in flesh, working out his power, revealing who he is. This is even confirmed whenever the disciples freak out, right? So take a look again at 50. <clears throat> there, it's, I mean, think about it. It's like 3, 4, 5 in the morning, and you see this guy walking upon the water. I would have thought it was a ghost. I would have freaked out. Um, for the, the disciples also, they think that the sea is the place where evil resides. So evil spirits might have been there. It's reasonable for them um but jesus calms them and he says take heart it is i do not be afraid that phrase it is i and the greek literally is i am back in the old testament this is something that god repeatedly says to reveal who he is so if you know the story of moses at all or if you don't let me just kind of catch up to speed it's okay um God tells Moses, hey, I'm gonna free my people. I want you to tell them that things are gonna change and soon I'm coming in. And Moses says, all right, you're speaking to me from a burning bush, that's cool, but I don't know who you are. I need to tell them who's gonna send me, who's sending me to you. And he says, God says to Moses, you can tell them I am sent you. This is the way that God affirms his eternal existence, his independence, his exalted nature. That he alone is God. I am. And over and over in the Old Testament, God comforts his people who are scared and freaking out by saying, I am. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. Rest in me. And so with both of these miracles back to back, it's just so clear that Jesus is the divine son of God made flesh. And then as he walks throughout, we get that kind of summary walking throughout the village it's like just his very presence brings wholeness to broken sick hurting people this is what it looks like whenever god comes to earth and dwells amongst man wholeness peace renewal comes so jesus is both the anointed king and the son of god made flesh and even though he fills this key role even though he is the center of god's kingdom he doesn't push his disciples out to the side to just watch his work. Instead, as God and king, Jesus equips his incapable disciples to be channels of blessing to others. So as God and king, Jesus actually equips his incapable disciples of being channels of blessing to others. Take a look again at the feeding miracle, 35-38. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place right in the middle of nowhere. The hour's late. Send all these people to go away into the countryside and villages and get themselves something to eat. And then Jesus looks at them and he says, You feed them. And they said, What? We don't have enough food or money. And he said, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. They say, Five and two fish. So he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups, taking the loaves, and the two fish he looked up into heaven and said a blessing broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people this is Jesus inviting the disciples into doing the work that he wants them to do the disciples look at the need and they say that's impossible we got this little sack of lunch over here uh, we don't have enough money we're in the middle of nowhere I don't know what you want us to do here and Jesus says it's okay Give me your sack lunch. We'll make it work. And he takes that sack lunch. He blesses it. And he actually has them pass it out. And I want you to think about this. Each of the 12 disciples have to take at least four trips, at least, to feed all these people. And then they go around with their baskets, and they pick up abundant leftovers in all of their baskets, each one of them. And all the while, they have to be thinking, what in the world happened here? What the heck, I saw those five loaves. They were like this big and like that thick and those fish weren't that huge, you know? They were overwhelmed with the impossibility of the situation, but Jesus equips them. He calls them into the work and he equips them to do what he's doing. This was what we saw earlier in chapter six. Last time Terrell preached to you about how Jesus sends out the disciples to go preach, to cast out demons, to heal. The disciples are doing the things that they've seen Jesus do all along. And so now Jesus is beginning to say, I want you to do this. I want to equip you so that you extend my work. This is what Christ's goal is for the disciples. And the same is true for you and me. Christian, you are a channel of God's blessing to those around you. It's not just about what Jesus did in the past. It's not just about what Jesus is going to do in the future. Those things are core and essential, but they only make sense whenever you realize that it makes a difference for life today. Christians, you are channels of God's blessing to the people around you. I'm not even going to try to get into ways that I practically want you to do that. I just want you to believe that tonight. I want you to grasp that that you personally are a channel of God's blessing. Now There's a, there's a few ways that we kind of go off course and we struggle with actually believing this. And I think one way that we can, one barrier to believing that, is we have this weird concept of how God works. Sorry, that's super loud, but I have to take big gulps. Um, we may assume that God only intervenes in miraculous ways directly, just kind of unassociated with us, right? And so we see a sick person and we might assume that God might intervene miraculously in their lives, but probably not through any person, right? We might see something on the television about things blowing up across the world and we might toss up a prayer and expect that God's going to do some miraculous work apart from human people. Honestly, that doesn't really make sense to me. Because I look at the Bible, and from the very beginning, God has chosen to work out his plan through humans. Like If you think back to Genesis 1, God creates man and woman. He places them on the earth, and he says, you will represent me. You will bear my image. I want you to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it in a way that represents me. God, from the very beginning, has chosen to work out His will through human beings. That has not changed. If anything, in Jesus, that is being restored to what God had always intended it would be. So as a Christian, as one who follows Jesus, as one who's being renewed by the Spirit of God, how much more now are you called into that role of being used by God as a channel of blessing to people around you, this world that's broken and hurting? There's also ways that I want you just to be mindful of that, that how you function as, a, as just a channel of God's blessing. As you pray, Like this is one of the ways that God has chosen to work out his will, which is so weird. But from eternity past, he knows that next week you're going to pray for so-and-so, that they might come to know Jesus, that they might be healed, so on and so forth. And he's going to respond to that prayer and actually do that. That is a part of God's plan, that he will respond to your prayers. One of the ways that you function as a channel of God's blessing is by praying. This has always been the way that he wants to work, as a father responding to the requests of his sons and his daughters that he loves. And then finally, there's going to be times where God wants to use you as the answer to your own prayers. There's been so many times where I've prayed for somebody that I knew. um, God, would you please come for that person? They're hurting, they're depressed, they're beat up right now. And then after praying for them for a few minutes, it hits me like, maybe I should do that. Maybe God wants to use me to encourage that person, to speak words of life to that person, to step out and just be a comfort. I want you to think about the times whenever you pray for somebody to actually come to know the Lord they might be saved, that their hearts might be turned towards Jesus. The Lord might want to use you as the answer to your own prayer. That you would share what God has done in your life. That you would share the gospel with that person. There's going to be times where God wants to use you as the answer to your own prayer. And You need to be sensitive to that in the moment. You are a channel of God's blessing. Be sensitive to that. Others of us might, might hear that. Your channel of God's blessing and think I can't do that there's just no way and some of you might say that because you're so new in the faith you're still trying to figure out who God is and what it means to have a relationship and walk with him and to you I would say it's okay be encouraged by this the way that you grow physically is the same way that you grow spiritually this this past weekend my wife and I were in Dallas and we were spending time with some good friends that we knew in college <clears throat> And they now have a little daughter who's just over a year old, and she's so cute. Um, But uh, one of the funny things about kids is the ways that they observe and imitate all the time, right? And so little Sawyer watches her parents. She watches the adults around her. And as she's observed them and imitated them, she's learned to grab on things. She's learned to stand up. She's learned to walk. She's scampering around now. She's learned to begin to speak some words. And it's all in a progression. She observes. She imitates. She takes baby steps. This is the same thing. This is the same way that we grow spiritually. If you are brand new in the faith, thinking about being a channel of God's blessing to other people is overwhelming to you, that's okay. Look at the example of Christ and imitate them in baby steps. Look at the good examples of people around you and imitate them just in baby steps. My friend Nate is not gonna look at his one-year-old daughter and say, why aren't you a distance runner? Like he's delighting in her for just scampering around the house. She's kinda like off balance but super cute. He's not upset with that. He's not expecting her to be a distance runner at this point in the same way God is not expecting you to be a spiritual distance runner. He's just calling you to take baby steps. Observe, imitate, take baby steps. For others of you, you're not a baby Christian, but you look around at the people in your life and you see the need is just too big. Like it is just a black hole and I've got nothing. And one of the things I want to say to you is you're right. You're not enough. That's okay. That's kind of the point. The disciples weren't either. Right? They had a sack lunch and they're like, here you go. And Jesus made it enough. This is the same thing for us. I can tell you, I've always believed that up here, but I've never believed it more in my heart until I became a pastor here. Um, Preaching every week, like I can do everything I can to preach to you to counsel you as I meet with you, um, to just care for you in general in in the multitude of ways that I try to. And if it's just me, it's not gonna be enough. Like my words in a sermon are not gonna be what your heart needs to be fed. My words are not gonna transform your hearts and your minds, your lives. My counseling to you is gonna fall flat if it's just me. I'm insufficient, just like you. And yet somehow God in his grace and in his mercy says, let me take that and I'll make something of it. This great. Let me take what you got and we'll work with it. God does that with me. God does that with you. We are insufficient. We're never called to be the answer to all the needs around us. We're called to depend on the one who is sufficient. You see, as a channel, you are not the one who is providing everything directly to that person you are communicating something from god that god is going to provide as a channel of god's blessing he is the one who pours out through you into others you are insufficient you recognize that you're in a good place trust the lord that he will provide through you in spite of your lacks and insufficiencies and then finally the last barrier to to really believing that we're a channel of God's blessing is this consumer focus that has infiltrated the church. Um, We live in America where commercials play all the time, right? Uh, Where shopping is a, uh, what do you call it, balm to our souls where we feel better because of having received or bought something, purchased something. Like a consumer mindset is just very common to us. And it's common to the church to the point where we have this expectation that the church is gonna meet my needs. And that's the whole purpose of the Lord's role in my life, is to meet my needs. And so if I'm being fed spiritually, if I feel better after a service, that's what church is for. And I wanna tell you, the Lord is abundantly good. And he's gonna meet you in your neediness in ways that will just astound you. Like, he has great and wonderful things for you, but it's never supposed to terminate on you. You and your needs are not the ultimate end goal, and I say that in love to you. Like, there's a much more beautiful big picture that you're a part of. You are not the big picture, okay? All the way throughout scripture, it's repeated. God blesses his people in order that they would be a blessing to others, Right from the get-go, God calls out Abraham, who's going to father the nation of Israel, and he says, I'm going to bless you and your descendants so that you would bless all the people of the earth. God blesses you so that you would be a blessing to others. So that as you receive comfort from him, you might be a comfort to others. As you receive forgiveness from him, you might extend grace and forgiveness to others. As he has been generous with you, you might be generous with others. Christians, you are channels of God's blessing in the earth. Now, yes, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He will come again one day to restore, redeem, renew all things, but in the here and now, He has chosen to use you. Believe that. That's crazy. You. Brothers and sisters are channels of God's blessing. If you have faith in Jesus, you've trusted him, you've received that from him. He's using you to pour out goodness to others.